Morning, everybody. Good to be with you again. For those who don't know me, my name's Glenn Decker. I'm one of the pastors here at One Hope. And uh, I have the privilege of opening God's Word with you and exploring it together with you again this morning. Uh, if you've been around here for the last couple of weeks, we've been exploring this idea of um, what it means to have Jesus is Lord, um, or what it means for us to make that statement and uh, for us to live it out. So, um, have you been thinking about that? What does it mean? I talked a couple of weeks ago, um, I used the example of Polycarp back in the first century, where, um, where he declared that Jesus was Lord and uh, Caesar wasn't, which resulted in his death. So when we declare that Jesus is Lord, there's something that we're saying, we're going to put our lives on the line for him. Are we willing to die for our Saviour? We talked about that uh, if we have to say that Jesus is Lord, uh, he's the one that determines what, I think we've got some slides on this, as we, uh, he's the one who determines what our bank balance will look like. He determines uh, what our diaries uh, how they're made up and what's in them. He determines uh, the search history on our computers. And we're talking about how does Jesus as Lord affect uh, our everyday living. Andrew, last week, I wasn't here, but I listened uh, to a sermon online. And if you ever want to do that, all our sermons go online. They're usually online sort of around Tuesday or Wednesday. And if, I encourage you, if you miss out or you want to catch them again, just go online. Uh, they're all there. I thought Andrew preached a cracker last week. It was great. It was really powerful. Um, for me, it was, it was heartfelt and it qu made me question. He, he brought that question to, is Jesus Lord or am I Lord? <laughs> and he talked about that idea of uh, consumerism, the culture that we live in. That's probably not so much the Lordship. That's all driving my Lordship, isn't it? That I want all that stuff for myself. I want to make decisions about my own life. And that he questioned uh, who or what is Lord and who or what determines my priorities, who or what determines my actions, uh, how I spend time, where I go, what I do, uh, things like that. Even in the small things. I've been saying the fact that Jesus is Lord determines what cars we drive, what clothes we wear. Have you thought about that? <laughs> Does that work for you? And so today, we're going to explore uh, the statement, uh, Jesus is Lord, and we're going to explore uh, that determines uh, who we hang with and why. So when we say that Jesus is Lord, that will determine who we hang out with and why. And so I want you to have a look back on your week, this week just gone, and answer that question. Who did you spend time with and why? So just have a bit of a explore through your, back through the week. Who did you spend time with and why? And then as you're exploring that, ask yourself the question, how does the fact that Jesus is your Lord affect that? If you're saying that Jesus is your Lord, how does that affect who you spent time with and why you spent time with them? And so uh, this morning, we want to use uh, this passage in Matthew, um, which is actually the calling of Matthew or Levi, this story of uh, 
Levi or Matthew in uh, the different Gospels. He uses a different name. Um, and Jesus uh, comes to him and calls him to follow uh, Jesus. And it was actually as I was thinking about this, I came across this passage and it really just stirred in me uh, what happened before, during and after um, Matthew's encounter with Jesus that really got me thinking about uh, Jesus as Lord does determine who we spend our time with and why. So here, if you notice that Jesus is back in his, uh, in his town, his hometown, which is Capernaum. So it's not Nazareth, okay? So when Jesus uh, began his ministry, he moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. And that's where he's now uh, living. And that's where he's uh, interacting. It's by the Sea of Galilee. And that's where he's uh, living and interacting with the people uh, of that town and that uh, village, and so when he comes across these disciples, when he comes across Matthew, these guys are not just randoms. He actually knows them. He's been living in this town. And if you remember some of the stuff where Jesus has gone out to the hill and he's been praying about who his disciples will be. Um, and he, so he's aware of the people that live in these, these towns weren't massive cities. Uh, they were towns where you probably knew most of the people that were in there. And so, uh, as he's probably been, uh, as he's been praying, uh, Matthew has been on his uh, heart, and he uh, comes past Matthew in his tax collecting booth, and he uh, stops and asks him to come and follow Jesus. In the passage beforehand, we got to read that because that's really important. Because in that passage, and this story is recorded in each of the Gospels, Matthew. Um, uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke, sorry, not John, th the three uh, Gospels. And these two stories are linked together, the healing of the paralytic and Matthew's call. Because what happens in that healing of the paralytic is something very interesting. It's Jesus demonstrating his lordship. Okay, that's what happens in that passage. He's demonstrating his lordship. And the first thing his lordship does, what was it? When he hears it, what was the first thing that he happens when he, he, when he comes across the paralytic? He forgives his sins. That's the first thing he does. And he comes in and he shows his lordship and his authority and he says, I have been given the power and authority to forgive sins, to make you right with the living God so that you can have uh, life to the full, life eternal. And he doesn't stop there, does he? <laughs> he shows his uh, authority over sickness. Because he heals the guy, and the guy, um, and he shows that he's Lord over sickness and illness. And in uh, the other uh, other gospels, and Mark in particular does this in the first few uh, eight chapters of Mark. Uh, Mark demonstrates the lordship of Jesus, and so you see the lordship of Jesus over demons. So over evil, Jesus has total authority over demons. He drives them out, and he. Um, he he exercises demons. He's, you see it over nature when he calms the storm or he turns water into wine. Jesus demonstrates his lordship. Even over death, Lazarus is raised from the dead or when he comes in contact with the, uh, the widow's dead son and that, uh, he raises him to life again. Jesus uh, demonstrates who he is so that when later on the people say uh, this teaching that he brings, this teaching has authority... They've been experiencing that authority. It's the words that he speaks, but it also comes with who he is and what he has demonstrated amongst them. 
And so people are already saying, you know, look at what happened at the end of that. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, which means they were in awe and they glorified God. Here is such authority that's come up amongst us. And so you've got to remember that Matthew was witnessing that. He was probably watching what had just happened. So when Jesus comes to him and says, follow me, Matthew has an understanding of who he's going to follow. And this is a little bit for us as, uh, as Christians, and if you're exploring Christian faith, I'm saying to you, explore who Jesus is. You've got to find out who he is. You've got to read uh, the word. You've got to hang out with Christians. You've got to understand what it means that Jesus is Lord. And then if you see that and experience that, Jesus then calls you to follow him, to give your life to him, to live with him. And so Matthew has just seen and experienced that and then responds to this lordship and authority and immediately uh, goes and follows him. And I think particularly how Jesus first interacted with the the paralytic hit Matthew's heart. Because Matthew was a tax collector. And tax collectors were notoriously bad people who cheated, lied, deceived and used standover tactics to rob the poor so that they could become rich. He was probably a fairly rich and wealthy man. And he was probably convicted that he was a sinner (laughs) and he needed a Lord (laughs) to forgive him of that lifestyle that he'd been living. And so when Jesus, I think that's the thing that hits him, that Jesus hangs out with sinners, that he comes to sinners, he invites sinners to follow him. It's interesting because Matthew, in his version, uh, tones down his version because after he follows Jesus, uh, he goes uh, to his home and he holds a party at his home. Mark and John both call it uh, a great feast and there were many people there. Uh, Matthew sort of tones down his version because he's writing about himself uh, is probably what most commentators think why he tones it down. Um, Uh, But he has a great feast and many sinners and tax collectors and the types of people that Matthew was used to hanging around with are invited to his place and they're invited with Jesus and his disciples and Jesus is very supportive of these people being invited into Matthew's home so that they can eat and drink together. And if you think about who they are, they are the liars, the deceivers, the cheats, the people who have probably uh, been brutal to the other people in the town who have used standover tactics have beaten up people in order to get taxes to them and these are the people that Jesus and his disciples think that it is a good thing to hang with and eat with and drink with and invite into your homes <laughs> and so before we go any further I want to show a clip um, and this is a little clip that came across our, across our paths uh, this week. And we're just going to watch this now. Since we've been here, we've been involving the homeless in our lives. 
I leave for work about 10 or 15 minutes early because the Spirit has placed these neighbors in my life. So they're literally on my street, in our parks, uh, on street corners, and I walk by them every day. And so the Spirit has shown me that these are people that you're called to. These people are part of the mission that I have here. When we moved to Montreal, we were very focused on neighbors and meeting our neighbors and loving our neighbors. But we found we had these new neighbors that we didn't really know what to do with, and they were neighbors that didn't have a home. So what were we going to do with these people? Were we going to ignore them, or were we really going to engage them? We just started sitting with them, listening to them, and asking the Spirit to show us what to do because we really had no idea. And so I started building time into my day where I would consistently walk by these homeless men and women that I see. And yeah, while I couldn't give them monetary resources, I could give them that. And I started hearing their stories and hearing some of their needs and listening to them and seeing areas that we could bless them in the everyday, where we, where we spend time with them and love them and, and encourage them and weep with them because there's a lot in their story to weep over and pray for them, pray for Jesus to... Uh, to work through us and minister to them in ways that, that we can't without him. And so these great relationships have started being formed, especially with one guy named Noah and three of his friends. Hi. My best friend. At least you're smiling. I like people smiling. You, you live longer with that. You want to split a takeout? Living in Montreal is way different than my life growing up in Indiana. In Indiana, you don't see homeless guys out in the street. So at first it was okay because I would just quickly pass them and wave. But when it started, my kids started interacting with them, I had to let go of my guard a lot of wanting to protect them and keep them safe in all aspects. So I had to be okay with my son giving them hugs, being okay touching you know, their dirty hands, and giving up even my time on date nights for these guys where I just want my husband all to myself. Even before I leave the house, it's like, all right, Spirit, I need you to help me to be okay stopping. Help me to be okay that my schedules may push aside. Help me be okay for the safety and comfort of me being a mom to my kids. Um, to be crushed in a way for what the Spirit wants to do and not what I want to do. I've been praying a lot for Jesus to continue to open my heart for Noah in my house and so close to my kids and even me having to cook more and clean the bathroom more and to be okay with that. And it's been a struggle and in theory I'm okay with it but the details of it, a dirtier house, more food, company constantly. It's a struggle for my flesh to have to work through. So the Spirit's been having to change my heart about it and to be okay with the homeless part of my, my family and not just a different family on the street. Hey, pizza's here. Who's excited for pizza? Jesus, thank you for our friend Noah being here. Thank you for this food. Thanks for loving us so much. Amen. <laughs> I'm always comfortable with you guys. We're comfortable with you. Oh. Love you.
The only reason why I would serve anyone in any way, in any form, is because I've been served so perfectly by Jesus. If we try and do this out of our own good works, if we try and do this to impress our Father, if we try and do this to impress people around us, I'm going to get really tired of doing that and I'm going to stop doing it. The only way I'm going to keep ministering to people here is by seeing how well I've been served by Jesus. Jesus took them into his family. Jesus has adopted all of us into his family. And because of that, we should adopt everybody into our family as well. And I would like to just invite my friend into my family, but the Spirit's helped me realize that it's, it's everybody, and that would be Noah and the homeless people as well. That's dangerous teaching, isn't it? That Jesus is Lord determines who we hang out with and why, who we invite into our homes and why. And so the question a little bit was, when Jesus went to hang out with Matthew and all the sinners, why was he doing that? Well, he answers it. He answers it in verse 12 and 13 of that passage that Dagmar read for us. He hangs with them to heal them because the sick need a doctor. <laughs> he hangs with them to show mercy, to empathize with people because he desires mercy more than sacrifice. And he hangs with them to call them, to call them to God call them to repentance, to a new life. He eats and drinks with people, those sinners, as he gains, he and his disciple gain a reputation for doing, uh, in order to bless them. I don't know if you remember that uh, little clip that we put on Facebook about uh, the acronym BLESS, if you've seen that. Um, begin by praying, listen, eat with, serve, and tell your story. <laughs> a little acronym. This idea of blessing people by inviting them into your life, into your home, eating and drinking with them, to hear their stories, to know what their needs are in order to be able to uh, save them, uh, serve them which is in stark contrast, isn't it, to the Pharisees and the way that the Pharisees treated sinners, homeless. The Pharisees pushed them away. And they said, you're not like us, which was a distortion of the Old Testament teaching. They were sort of all about cleansing and, and stuff like that, so we keep the sinners away from them. It was actually a distortion because right the way through the Old Testament, there's this story of invite the stranger 
into your home. R invite the poor and the needy and the broken, even the Gentile, into your home and show them hospitality. And yet they had made themselves Lord, so them pushing sinners away was more about their own lifestyle, their own reputations. What do you think when you watch that clip? Then you start to think, what if, what if, what if? What if they robbed us? What if they did something to our kids? What if? We start to become fearful. And so we keep people at a safe distance. Those that are too dangerous <laughs> or uncertain or are not like us or too uncomfortable. One of the commentaries that I was reading this week had this quote, and it's just been resonating in my heart. I'll just read it. It says, Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples, not of their own accord, but by the invitation of Matthew, and with the goodwill and the full consent of Christ, who was far from being displeased with their company or their freedom. But he gladly embraced every opportunity of doing good to the souls of the worst of men, for such as these he had come to call and save. The Lordship of Christ to determine who we hang out with and why. So who did Jesus and his disciples spend their time with? And I would say, if we think about it, who, who did they spend their time with? It was the, the people that came across their paths. As they went through life and as they were going to different cities and on their way ultimately to Jerusalem, different people came across their paths and they were from all walks of life. They weren't all homeless. He also came across the rich and the famous. Matthew is one of them. He's probably one of the richest people in the town because he holds this massive feast that everyone can come to. And so the people, the sinners that he goes and eats with and drinks with this time are the rich and famous. Think about, well, Matthew, think about Zacchaeus, Simon, Nicodemus, the Pharisees, the elite. Jesus all went and ate with these people and drank with these people as well. Who else did Jesus hang out with? He hung out with the unimportant, unimportant. <laughs> And so in the culture of the day, women and children were the unimportant. Rabbis and teachers, and they, they didn't concern themselves with those sorts of things. But yet Jesus invites them into his space, onto his lap. Jesus invites the woman at the well to spend time with him, to interact with him. He blesses them as he prays for them, as he listens to their story, as he eats and drinks with them, as he begins to serve them and then tells them the story of why he came for people like them so that they may have life, life to the full. So why did he come? To heal, to show mercy, to empathise, to call people out of that to a life with God. And we recognise that as Jesus did this, many of them didn't follow him. <laughs> Most of them probably rejected him and didn't follow him. 
Matthew's and his fr- uh, Matthew's friends, most of them went off on their own ways, and maybe a few of them we not require we don't see totally what happened, but not many of them followed Jesus. Remember Jesus at the end of his life, there were 120 of them left that gathered together. And so as we think about the sinners and who we spend our time with, we ask the question, who's God put in your path? Who is God putting in your path that he wants you to spend time with and why? So start thinking about that. But it's interesting because the question, I want to ask this question, who did Jesus spend most of his time with and why? Who did Jesus spend most of his time with and why? And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these little uh, diagrams, they're sort of around, if you've been around church circles, you've probably seen them, they're sort of circles of influence type thing. And it's argued that Jesus spent most of his time with his disciples, 12 people. And of those 12, there were the three, Peter, James and John, uh, that he spent probably even more intimate time with. His leaders, they became the writers of the New Testament. Some people have argued that Jesus spent 80% of his ministry time with 12 people. And then there were the 70 and the 120 who were sort of interacting with at a broader level. And then there were the crowds and those that came past. He spent much less, much less time with them. But he spent time with those that he was discipling, those who became followers, those who wanted to grow and become like him and he discipled them and he and he discipled them so that what does he do at the end so that they would learn to disciple others so that they would be learning to go to sinners you know and those people that out there and say come follow me as i follow christ so that jesus ministry would continue he spent time investing in these disciples but it's interesting how he did it didn't it Because how did he do it? How did he spend time with the disciples? He didn't go off into a convent out in the hills. No, he spent time with his disciples doing his mission. So he spent time with his disciples in the houses of people like Matthew and his friends, with the widow as well. He spent time saying, this is what it means to be Lord is to come and serve the least of these, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God coming amongst them, forgiving sins, to have power over evil, to bring healing, to show mercy, to offer life, life to the full, life for eternity. And so while he is on mission, spending lots of time with his disciples, he's showing them what it means to move people in following Christ, to grow people in following Christ. And so the question is, who do you spend most of your time with and why? Parents, that should be pretty easy. (laughs) You spend most of the time with your kids. (laughs) Are you thinking about how you're discipling them? These are the people God's put in your path. And we all know that they're sinners. (laughs) We all know that they need to know how to follow Jesus. What are they seeing you do? 
What are they seeing you spend your money on <laughs> or put in your calendar? Because you're discipling them. And so Jesus says, I want you to disciple these that I put in my path, to, show, to bring healing, to show mercy, to call them to follow God. And this is interesting, isn't it? It's probably somewhere between an 18 to 30 year process. Discipleship is often long and slow. It's um, hard work. But much, as many of us as parents would know, rewarding work as well as that hard work. It brings joy to our hearts as well as tears and pain beyond compare. Jesus said, I want you to keep showing love and mercy. Children, who are you discipling? Who do you spend time with? Young people, those who don't have children? Who are your people in your path? Your friends, your siblings, your cousins, people you play sport with, people you do music with? People that God has put in your path. We ask ourselves, how is Jesus' is Lord affecting the way you spend time with them and why? And so, uh, particularly in our culture today, which is just crazy, which is saying, more friends, the better, the bigger, the better. I wonder whether we actually need to think much more, fewer and smaller. I think that's what Jesus did. He thought, he thought fewer people, smaller things, the little things. Rather than thinking about how many friends you've got and how many people you're keeping in contact with and your broad network and how your impact is going to change the world and it's going to go global and we're going to do great things. I think Jesus is saying, no, think small. Fewer people think less, less thing and do them well and do them as me. Because it was interesting, isn't it? At the end of Jesus' life, he, he didn't have a global impact at the end of Jesus' life. He hadn't, he'd, he'd hardly even affected a little bit of the Roman Empire. Nothing pretty well. And he only affected pretty well 12 people. You could maybe draw that out to 120. But what had he done? He had discipled them in order to disciple others. And so that they became disciples. And so that Christianity then spread right through the Roman Empire. That many people became Christians as Christians thought fewer and smaller. The people that they were put in their path and doing the small things well. Because of that and well in terms of following them like Christ, living like Christ, serving like Christ, having people into your homes, ministering to them in that way. Because Jesus knew the power of multiplication. And that's why there are billions of followers of Christ in the world or throughout history. As he knew the power of multiplication, the power of discipleship. So who are in your circles? Who's in maybe your grow group? Who are you helping become a better follower of Christ? Who's helping you become a better follower of Christ? Who's in your life group? How are your life groups demonstrating Christ's lordship in the people you spend time with? Uh, in your church here, 
your work environment, in your school environment? How are you helping moving those people in following Christ, helping them see? Who has God put in your path? How are you spending time with them and why? How are you bringing healing? How are you showing mercy? How are you calling them to God? See, this is not just about the homeless. It's about the people sitting next to you this morning as well. And how many of them have you invited into your home? <laughs> Who has God put in your path here? There are new families and visitors joining us here in this church. Have they been to your home? Have you got to know them? <laughs> or are those, those people? Someone else will do it. <laughs> well, they're a bit awkward. They're not like us. They mess up our schedules. Are we inviting in or pushing away? Who are the people you're eating and drinking with? Who are the people God's put in your path? Jesus... Um, as he goes, he intentionally goes to different places, doesn't he? Because at times he says, let's, we've got to go to the village over here because I've got to preach the good news over there. So there was this call to go to those village. Or we've got to go across the lake because I've got to go over to the Gentile part of, and we've got to interact with, well, he, there he interacts with the demon-possessed and things like that. And so there are times where Jesus uh, called, that people that uh, Jesus comes across, the people that come across Jesus' path and his disciples' path are the ones that he goes to. And so there are times that we, uh, we, we know that there are calls in our lives uh, that we, specific people, maybe they're orphans and widows, maybe they are um, homeless, or uh, Jesus, much of his ministry was to the Jews, and he often would say, I'm here for the Jewish people. And it was Paul later on that came for the Gentiles. He didn't exclude the Gentiles, but that was his main thing, was to come to the Jews and let them know that the Messiah was here. Paul later on brought that to the... So there might be specific people coming to you. I was thinking of, of Jamie and Anna and um, the Legend Project. And they're, they're specifically, they're called to sort of engage with the homeless. And that's what they're doing. And they're, they're, they're the people coming across their path because they're being called to that. And so there are things at times where we are called to interact with people and it's in that uh, calling and uh, interaction that God puts people in our path. So when you thought, watch that clip and you thought, there's no way that I could have homeless people in my home. <laughs> but who are the people you're having in your home? Or are you pushing people away from your home because they don't fit your lifestyle? They don't fit into your schedule. Who are the people in your path? Have you had your neighbours to your house? Have you had them over? Because guess what? They're in your path. People in your work place, people in your sporting club. How are you eating and drinking with them? And why are you eating and drinking with them? People in your church. You're eating and drinking with them. How are you helping them? It's interesting, isn't it, when we watch that clip, what I thought was interesting, that family, and notice that that's where they lived. They lived in a downtown part of 
wherever it was, um, and th that's where they were interacting with. But it was interesting what happened, wasn't it? As these people came into their homes, what were the, the kids of that family experiencing? They were seeing what mission meant. <laughs> they, their kids were growing up seeing that our family, because we have Jesus as Lord, we interact with the least of these. And we love them and we show them mercy and we empathise with them and we give help where we can and we proclaim the gospel in word and deed. Notice, I particularly like uh, some of the words that, uh, that the, the lady mentioned, that we're constantly asking God to change my heart for, the, for these people. Because, I, did you hear what she said? I just want my friends over. And I'm asking God to change my heart, to invite, to eat with those that he's put in my path, those who are not like me, those who, did you hear what she said? Make my house messy, that mess up my schedule, that get all sorts of awkwardness about it. And I know in my life, I far more enjoy having people who are like me in my home, people I get on with. or I far like to deal with people in my schedule, in my time frame rather than theirs. Because <laughs> Glenn's still Lord of his life. And I have to constantly repent and believe and say, just like that lady said, Holy Spirit, come in, change my heart. Change my heart for those that you have a heart for. So who are you impacting and what for? This week at our life group, we were talking... Um, we're talking about some of this. I was doing some of my sermon re research in our life group. Um, and Lynette told this great story. I asked her if I could share it this morning. It was great. So Lynette works uh, at a dentist. And um, next to the dentist is a Coles. And in that Coles uh, supermarket, there's a checkout guy that uh, works there. He's obviously uh, he's some sort of form of autism or something like that. He's the awkward bloke that um, all the, the girls in the in the dentist, you know, sort of, oh, he's the weird one. You don't go to the weird one, you go to the other one. Uh, so as it so happens, that weird bloke uh, came into the dentist and he was a patient in uh, the dentist and Lynette had to um, serve him. Um, and so she, uh, the, everyone, the boss left the, the room and so Lynette was just left there with this guy. And it was like, oh. And so she starts a conversation with him. And she finds out that this guy is very intelligent and uh, loves classical music. And there's something else. What was the other thing that he liked? Sorry? Going to the movies um, uh, and classical music. It was right into that. And was having this whole conversation with him. And getting to know him and getting to understand who he was and why he was like that. Um, and so uh, it gets to know him a little bit. Goes... And then Lynette comes out and tells the girls, the rest of the girls in the, in, the, in the dentist surgery, and said, oh, actually, I had a conversation. We've got to know him. He's a nice bloke. He's, um, there's stuff about him. The girls go out to lunch, I think it was that day or the next day, uh, and they come back and they say, hey, we went to his checkout, and he's a really nice bloke. He's a really good... <laughs> 
And I want to use this because I think Lynette is missionally discipling the people in her workplace. She's showing that Jesus is Lord because she was willing to interact and then confront people's behaviours. <laughs> and it results in a different change and a different life outcome for, the people, for Lynette, the people she works with and the guy. There's a whole different attitude going on now with them when they're in the checkout with him. There's mercy being shown, there's empathising, which is what Jesus said, I've come to do. <laughs> so who are the sinners that you are inviting to eat and drink with you or to interact with or have a co coffee or a conversation? Beware of the Pharisee in you, <laughs> of pushing uh, them away. And I think sometimes we as church, we can do this all too often. And I've been really convicted by this church, that programs can lead us to safety and superficiality with people, okay? This is the way it works. We're quite happy to put on Cavell Kitchen. We're quite happy to talk to people for maybe 10 minutes, Ooh, 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. We might. But have we ever had them people into our homes? What's it going to take for us to inter and, and go deeper with them, to catch up with them during the week? Because we can have Cavell Kitchen every six weeks on our schedule because it fits into our schedule, doesn't it? As I've been getting to know the people that live in this street, their lives are messed up. They're awkward and it's going to take time and effort and energy to engage with them. And as I am, I'm discovering beauty in these people. Discovering why they are the way they are. And as I'm asking Jesus to change my heart, <laughs> he's creating more and more opportunities for me to interact with the people in this street here where I work. We're beginning to have them into our home, beginning to find out what their needs are and how I can serve them. Because Jesus is my Lord, <laughs> I want to think about who I'm spending my time with and why. How can I bring healing? How can I bring mercy? How can I call them to see who God is? And as I say this, I'm aware that those amongst us, that when we've done this, it's gone wrong. That when we've invited people into our homes or that might be, or interacted with people, that they have actually abused us and hurt us and taken advantage of us. And so where are the boundaries and where is the... <laughs> I don't know. But I'm, I know that God calls us to interact with that and Jesus calls us that when you do this, you will get hurt and you will be taken advantage of and you will die. That's what it, you'll die to yourself. Your lifestyle, your lifestyle will suffer. Your time will suffer. Your health may even suffer. Your bank balance may even suffer. but we realise that we have a Lord who is over and above that and a Lord who will get us through that, who will sustain us in it. 
And this, I was just we were praying this morning, we were talking about so many people going through hardship. And in that hardship, we were talking about how many people are just testifying to the goodness of God in their hardship. And God is shaping us and growing us even amidst that. It's not, not because it gets hard or awkward. or That's the call for us to step into it more, trusting that Jesus is Lord, rather than push them away and control it in my safe, secure, superficial way. Because that's what Glenn as Lord wants to do. So I've got to trust God. No, I'm going to take a step of faith. This is going to be risky. And so just like Jesus <laughs> and his disciple, what's your reputation? What's the reputation of who you hang out with and why? I started to think about that <laughs> this move. Who do my kids see that we have into our homes? My kids see who I interact with and how I show love and mercy and help. And so as Jesus invites Matthew and invites us to come and follow him, we remember the big picture and we remember what he says at the end. He says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will start to empower you to do this. It won't be safe, but it will be good. <laughs> and he says, I will be with you to the end of the age. And he remember that I've given, all authority has been given to me and I'm now giving it to you by my spirit. I'll be with you in this. And we remember the power of the gospel, which it constantly does, what it's, been, what it's been doing the last few weeks, if you've been here. It confronts us. If you're not confronted by this morning's sermon, well, then there's something wrong. <laughs> it confronts us. And it, but the, the point that I'm preaching is, I don't want you to go out here thinking, oh, I'm hopeless and yeah, I'm, you know, Glenn's just telling me how bad I am. Why do I even come to this place? That's not what the gospel is. The gospel confronts us, but then it frees us. It says, now you have every power to live this out. I don't even look at how you haven't done this anymore. That's what Jesus says to us. I don't look at how you haven't done this. I look at the potential that you now have to live this out. And that's what the repentance is. You turn, it back to, turn back to God and that truth that Jesus is Lord, he is Lord to forgive your sin, he is Lord to empower you with his spirit so that you can actually live this out. And now we're called to keep in step with the Spirit, to live lives of faith, to interact with the people that God puts us in our path, to invite them into our lives so that they become our family. That's what the church is. And we're reminded, as uh, it said in that clip, which was really nice, we're not doing this to impress ourselves. We're not doing this to impress each other. We're not even doing this to impress God. That's the danger that we often do. We think we're, we're doing it because we're followers of him. We're doing it actually as an act of worship. Worship is obedience. We follow what the Lord says. And in following what the Lord says, um, he's pleased. <laughs> but we're not doing it to earn his ple He's pleased with us because of who we are. And so this becomes our worship as we interact with the people that God's placed in our path. Why? To bring healing, to show mercy, and to call them to the good news of Jesus. We finish off with that quote that Joel started off with. I nearly called you Jesus then, Joel. Um, Worship is designed to remind you that, you that in the center of all things is a glorious and gracious king 
Jesus is Lord and this king is not you. And it's exactly that, isn't it? Doesn't that convict you? Oh, ouch. But doesn't that free you? (laughs) Because that gives you all power. Every spiritual blessing is yours through him so that you can go and live a gracious and merciful and compassionate life with whoever God puts in your path. Let's pray. Lord and God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and showed your lordship on this earth, that showed your power over all things. We thank you that uh, in you, and the fact that when we say that Jesus is Lord, that we know you as our saviour from sin, we know you as our healer, we know you as one who is over all, through all and in all, that has power over all things, as the one who knows the name of every star in the universe. And yet we know you as dad. Lord Jesus, we know you as our brother. You come and live with us intimately. We, we know you, Holy Spirit, as the one who brings us power to do the things that we can't do. Holy Spirit, we are so thankful that you can change our hearts so that we'll be less like the Pharisees and more like Jesus. And so we ask that you would continue to do that in our lives individually and collectively as your people. So Lord, will you help us to follow you and display your glory in all that we do and particularly with those that you put in our path. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's, as a response to God's word and this message, uh, sing a song which is called I Will Follow. And I encourage you to make this your prayer and response and commitment to God and saying, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to become more like you. So as we sing this song, will I encourage you to make it your prayer and that you'd be praying as we sing that Jesus would help you to follow him. So let's uh, sing.